Well, if you are new this morning, or if you slept through the sermon last week, or were camping or something, we are in week two of a six-week series on the Apostles' Creed. Now, whether you've been around church for your whole life or barely at all, chances are that at some point you have probably heard the words of this creed. And creed, by the way, means a statement of belief. It comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. So it's a summary statement of belief. So let's take a minute to say together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, one of the reasons that the Apostles' Creed is so famous is that it is old. I mean, it's like really, really old. It was written about five generations after the apostles, which means it could have been written by the apostle Peter's great-great-grandma. And ever since its beginning, the creed has been widely accepted as an accurate summary of the basic beliefs of the apostles. And the apostles were the guys who learned at the feet of Master Jesus himself. And as Pastor Brandon said last week, this creed was important Because most churches at the time possessed very few of the writings that make up the New Testament that we have today. So therefore, in the early years after Jesus' ascension, Christ's followers needed a central statement that would summarize their beliefs about exactly who God is and what God is doing in the world. And that is exactly what we have in the Apostles' Creed. It's a concise statement outlining the basics of the Christian faith. And whatever else we might debate as Christ's followers, this creed is intended to be our focal point, the center of our basic beliefs. It is like a centerpiece candle that shines light on everything else around it. And today, the Apostles' Creed remains the best condensed statement of Christian faith and the most reliable way to learn the heart of faith. So that, my friends, is why we're digging into the Apostles' Creed, because everything else that we believe as Christians, it finds its center here in this concise summary of God and God's activity. So now I encourage us to take a glance at the Creed again. I kept it all on one slide in this tiny, tiny font. Sorry if it's hard to read. But so that you can see its structure, because this is important to understand our series. So it is divided into three different sections. And this is on purpose, because it reflects our triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
So last week, Pastor Brandon covered the first section, God the Father Almighty. And then the third section, that covers the Holy Spirit and the results of God's work in the world, especially by the Spirit. And this work is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit, who, as we learned in VBS this week, kids, right, is always with us. Kids here, yes! What did you say? Wow, God. Okay, God is always with us. Wow, God. Good, yes. Very good. So God's presence with us, it wows us. And that is what produces the remaining articles of the creed in the bottom. The church, forgiveness, resurrection, and life everlasting. And that's what we're going to cover in the last four weeks. So keep coming back. But today we focus on this middle section, Jesus. That's because the the middle section on Jesus, it is the focal point of the creed. So it is the center of the center, if you will. And that's because Jesus is the absolute center of all of our Christian beliefs. It is Jesus who is the center candlepiece, who sheds light on absolutely everything else. And it is this center candlepiece, Jesus, that we're covering today. Now, a few weeks ago, when Brandon and I got back from vacation, we were reviewing how we had divided up the the preaching series. And um, I joked that I must have drawn the short end of the stick because I get to cover um, ten lines, whereas all the other weeks are about one to two lines. And I thought, how in the world am I going to cover the whole life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus all in one Sunday? Well, folks, I'm, I'm not. Don't worry. <laughs> You're all looking at your watches like, I've got a lunch appointment. Don't worry. We're not going to cover it all. That would take, like, years and years. And the good news is I, I don't have to cover every part of this part of the creed today because we focus on those parts at other parts of the year. So during Advent and Christmas, we look at the virgin birth. Lent and Easter, we look at the suffering, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So today, we are going to focus on the part of the creed that gets less airtime, the part that maybe confuses some of us more, and that is Jesus' descent to the dead and his ascension to heaven. Has that ever confused anyone else? Anyone? Am I the only one? <laughs> and uh, so I was telling this to Brandon, and he said, well, that's, that's nice, but you know, VBS Sunday might have been more appropriate to talk about Jesus welcoming the little children something along those lines. (laughs) But instead, we're mostly going to talk about Jesus' descent to the dead. As some translations put it, his descent to hell. But don't worry, don't let that scare you or the children, because it has really good implications for all of us, I promise. And it applies very much to children and to all of us, no matter what life stage we're in. And at the end, I'm going to say something special about how children teach us about this part of the creed, because we can learn a lot about from children to understand this part. Does that sound good? Does that sound okay? Good. All right. So the main question that we're going to address this morning is what do Jesus' descent and ascent mean for our lives? 
Now, there are countless answers to this, but today we'll focus on three. One, Jesus sympathizes with your struggles. Second, Jesus intercedes for you. And third, Jesus brings new life even now while we are on earth. So with these in mind, let us turn now to our first scripture passage, Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Can you click? I'm having trouble. Thanks. All right. Before we read this, let us pray. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our single concern. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Also, let's hold on to the confession, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, who is Jesus, God's Son. Because we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but instead one who is tempted in every way that we are, except without sin. Finally, let's draw near to the throne of favor with confidence, so that we can receive mercy and find grace when we need help. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus' descent to earth and a human body and also to the dead, as our creed says, means that Jesus can fully sympathize with all of our struggles. Friends, there is no temptation, no pain, no darkness, no fear that Christ has not already faced on your behalf. Now, I don't know about you, but I used to read this passage and wonder, I don't know, Jesus, you've you've never been a middle school girl, so I don't really know how you understand what I'm going through. And perhaps you have wondered the same thing. Jesus, you've never experienced a divorce. Jesus, you never had a miscarriage. You never had to raise a rambunctious toddler. Jesus, you never had to fear nuclear war, were never tempted by internet pornography. You never even had the chance to get addicted to McDonald's french fries. You missed out on that one. Jesus, how can you sympathize with my weaknesses? And if we've never had the courage to open up to others about our struggles, or if we have and we received a negative response, we end up feeling totally alone, thinking that no one, not even Jesus, can sympathize with our weaknesses. But friends, that's just not the case. Jesus can and Jesus does sympathize. And while it's true that during his 33 short years on earth and bodily form, Jesus didn't face all the exact same situations we face, It is also true that Jesus descended to the dead. And here's what this means for us. It means that any form of death that we face in our lives has already been faced by Jesus. And that's not all. Jesus' descent to the dead means that any form of death we face has already been conquered by Jesus. I know some of you here today are facing physical death, 
Maybe it's your own impending death. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Friends, know that Jesus has been there. Perhaps you're facing the death of hope or joy or love, leaving you in despair or loneliness or separation. Jesus has been there. As some of you might know, the older translations of the creeds say that Jesus descended to hell instead of he descended to the dead. And I'm going to explain that change in a few minutes, but first I want you to hear this interpretation of the creed given by John Calvin, that theologian of the 16th century. He says this, The descent into hell deals with Jesus Christ cast into despair, into that feeling that God is against him. Jesus experienced the unspeakable distress of separation from God the Father so that we might not have to. Our lives, too, know despair, but it is not. It is no longer that total despair suffered by Jesus Christ alone. The distinction between the Christ and us ought to keep us from dramatizing our sorrows, however grievous they might be. For we now know that Jesus Christ has destroyed the power of hell, however great it might be. Friends, that is really good news. Jesus' descent to the dead and his resurrection is really good news. I like the way the Heidelberg Catechism helps to explain this. So I invite you to turn now to the center of your bulletin to Q&A number 44. It's the second one. We'll read this one together, too. Why does the creed add he descended to hell? To assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Christ my Lord, by certain unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. Another favorite theologian of mine, Craig Barnes, describes it like this. No matter how low or hellacious life may become, we have a Savior who has already descended to that place and is waiting there for us. We cannot sink lower than our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Friends, are there any areas of your life today that feel hellacious? Like hell. Maybe it's The shame you feel over an addiction you can't kick. Maybe it's the anguish of grief over the death of a loved one. Maybe it's the torment of depression or anxiety or the fear of your own physical death. Can you believe that Christ has already descended there? That he is waiting there for you? Barnes goes on to write this. But Jesus Christ did not descend to hell just to keep us company. As always, he came to save us. 
He came down in order to bring us up, to bring us into the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He came down in order to bring us up, to bring us into the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Friends, that is the summary of the Christian faith. Jesus descended to death to bring us to life, to life with the triune God, now and forevermore. Amen. That is the gospel. That is the good news for all ages. And this is why I find it so ironic that people sometimes avoid church or praying or anything religious when they feel like their lives are messy. It's a common pattern of thought that we've all been through. I need to get my life put together before I go to church. But the whole message of the Christian gospel is that we are totally incapable of putting our lives together on our own. We can't climb out of the deep, dark pits of sin and sorrow and anguish into which we have fallen. We just can't. If we try to do so, to climb up on our own, we might appear religious to others, but our lives are going to be miserable, maybe even hellacious. We can't climb out of the pit ourselves. That's what Jesus came to do. He came down to bring us up. Friends, Christians aren't good people. At least we're not good people because we try really hard and earn everything on our own. We are merely people who have been dragged out of the pit again and again and again. And we give witness to the one who drags us out. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who descended to the depths to bring us up to life. Brothers and sisters, whatever pit of darkness or despair you might find yourself in today or in days to come, know that Jesus has been there. Jesus can truly sympathize. Not only can he sympathize, but he can bring you out. For Christ has not only gone before you, but he is also with you by his spirit. VBS kids, get ready again. God is always with you. Wow, God. Very good. Let's do it again. God is always with you. Wow, God. Yes, so that is the mysterious thing about Jesus. We are told that his body is at the right hand of God the Father, but he is also by his spirit with us in every moment, every day here on earth. So whatever we face, Jesus is facing it with us. That deserves a wow. Wow, God. <laughs> I just like saying that. So this this tells us that Jesus isn't just some sort of like cosmic cheerleader up there with pom-poms saying, you can do it, or I hope you feel better soon. No, Jesus is with us by his spirit. There is no form of sympathy greater than that. He is with us. Now, I told you earlier that um, I would briefly address this change in the creed from hell to the dead. So I'm going to give it a go very, very briefly. If you're interested in more, you can talk to me later. If you're not interested, you have two minutes to doodle or do daydream, whatever you want to do. 
Okay, so really briefly for those who are interested, because I've had this question. Some people wrote it down in the little bulletin inserts, so I want to address it. So what was, why was this change made? The Apostles' Creed, it was writ- originally written in, in Greek, and in Greek, the word for hell that we get is Hades. In an early Jewish and Christian thought, this was understood to be the place where all the dead went. It's just, that was the framework of thinking. So it was paradise for some and pain for others. That's Hades in the Greek understanding. So this word was different from Gehenna, which is the final state of the lost, those who are separated from God. So the word used in the creed is Hades, the place of the dead, not Gehenna. And so that's why the wording was changed to the dead. So this historian writes us about it. The translation, descended into hell, was unfortunate and misleading because the term Hades, the place of the dead, was much more comprehensive than Gehenna, the specific place of the lost. So consider this. On the cross, Jesus says to the confessing criminal next to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. So there's good reason to believe that Jesus went to paradise post-death, which could fit in with the understanding of Hades. Okay, with all that being said, it also needs to be said that Scripture tells us very, very, very little about what Jesus did after his death and before his resurrection. There are some passages if you want them. Ask me later. But that's why Saturday between Good Friday and Easter, Easter Sunday is often called Silent Saturday. The Gospels are pretty silent about what was happening. It's a mysterious part of our faith, this Silent Saturday. And yet there is still one thing we can be certain of. Jesus' death, I'm going to click to this quote. Can you click me over, Craig? I'm having, there we go. There's one thing we can be certain of, even if we don't understand Saturday. It's that Jesus' death was a literal event. Jesus was dead, like dead, dead, dead. It was a literal event, not some temporary state of unconsciousness. Hence, in the resurrection, Jesus did conquer death, both in its spiritual and physical forms. And therefore, we can boldly affirm Jesus descended to death in order to bring us to life, spiritually and physically, for eternity and now in the present. That, my friends, is good news. Does that make sense? A little bit, a little history. Okay, if you have more questions, ask me later. Okay, so now we need to go on to this question, and we'll do this a lot uh, more briefly than the others. So what does it mean for us that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? What does that mean? So I draw your attention again to your bulletin to this last Q&A. I am going to have you answer just the first line, the first. So how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Yeah, rambunctious. We will get to those, not rambunctious, um, forward-looking. We'll get to those later. But for today, we're just going to focus on this first part, that he is our advocate. Did you know that Jesus Christ is praying for you all the time, like constantly? Look at these passages from Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. 
But that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And then, who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died. Yes, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. So Christ's spirit is interceding for us. Christ, who is seated in the heavenly realms, is interceding for us. Have you ever had moments when you don't know how to pray? When you don't have words or when words fall flat? When you're too tired or defeated to pray at all? You can be assured that Christ is praying for you. That is what our text means when it says that Jesus is our great high priest. He is constantly standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. And not only that, but according to the second chapter of Colossians, we too already have descended to death and ascended to new life. Can you click me just, there we go. We too are united to Christ by faith. Where Christ has gone, we have gone. We're going to talk about this more when we discuss resurrection, but I encourage you this week to read Colossians 2 in light of what we have said so far, and we'll come back to it later. Where Christ has gone, we have gone. So we too already have new life. Okay, so that's a lot of heady talk. So I'm going to close now with some words on children, especially in light of VBS week. Particularly, I want to show you how children are models of faith for us in what we believe. So in Matthew 18, Jesus is recorded as saying, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then in Matthew 19, he says, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. Friends, can we just say that there is a lot of stuff about the Christian faith that is just really confusing? Can we get an amen on that? Okay, I'm going to give you some examples. One plus one plus one equals one. That is our theology of the Trinity. Yeah, confusing. Or 100 plus 100% equals 100%. That's the nature of Christ. 100% divine, 100% human equals 100% person. Totally confusing. So what did Jesus do between his death and uh, his resurrection, the silent Saturday? We have some ideas. Not totally sure. Where is Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the Father, but he's also with us. This dual nature of Christ kind of confusing. We can put words to it, but it's still kind of confusing. And then this claim that in baptism, we have already died and we have already been raised. So we're already dead, but we're already alive. It's, that can be kind of confusing. But, but friends, these are core beliefs of the Christian faith. And, and we, we believe them. We do. And they give us hope and joy. But we have to be honest that our minds can't fully wrap our minds around everything that has to do with our triune God. There are many things that this side of eternal life we just won't be able to get. But thank God, God has revealed to us everything that we need for abundant life and godliness. Scripture tells us that. And thank God that in Jesus Christ we see the fullness of God's exact nature. And yet there are still some things that remain a mystery. 
And this is where we need to follow the example of our children. In humility, to love and trust, even when we don't fully understand. One area we can particularly learn is through their connection. So people who study child faith development tell us that even though kids' cognitive abilities take some time to develop, children from the moment of birth, the very moment of birth, they are masters of connection, often more so than us as adults. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because a child's survival depends on being connected. You can witness this in a week of VBS. Uh, Brandon shared with me that after his first day at VBS, he already had kids coming over to him, raising their arms, chanting those entrusting words, pick me up, pick me up. Did any of you have that experience too? Yeah. You get, she got it really full belly. Yeah. They don't, they don't really know us, right? They can't comprehend all of who we are, but they trust us. Pick me up, pick me up. They want to connect. Isn't that beautiful? And get this, by the end of the week, this happened last year and this year, Brandon had several children come up to him and say, I love you. Isn't that sweet? He had only spent hours, with maybe not even hours, because he just had them in little sections, and already they loved him. Children are quick to trust. They are quick to love, they are desperately eager to connect. And because of this, children are able to connect deeply with God, even when they don't yet have the words to explain it. They can experience God deeply. Our job as adults, if you're curious how to, how to encourage this, is to affirm their experiences of God. Encourage them to be open to connecting with God in their lives, even when they can't verbalize what's happening. In fact, get this, studies show that those who can recall an experience of God in their childhood are 80% more likely to have an active relationship with God as adults. 80%. That's why things like VBS are so important. We're providing space for children to experience God. I share this in this part of our creed because I wonder how we as adults might learn from the kids' examples. How might we learn from their openness to experience God beyond just the limits of head knowledge when our words fall flat? In our temptations and our struggles and our sorrows, can we open ourselves to receive Christ's presence in our lives? Even if we don't fully understand how all this works, can we trust that Christ is for us? Can we trust that Christ is with us? Can we trust that Christ somehow has already defeated all the death and darkness that we fear? Can we trust that? Can we trust that Christ is praying for us all the time, even when we don't have the words to pray? 
And friends, my prayer for us today is that we might interact with our mysterious, powerful, triune God the same way that those precious children interacted with my husband. I pray that we would raise our arms to Jesus Christ, chanting those trusting words. Pick me up. Pick me up. Pick me up into your joyous embrace. Pick me up out of the despair and darkness that I feel. Pick me up into life with you now and forever. And I pray that we too would be like those children to say, I love you, God. I love you with all that I am. I might know you only in part now, but I will know you fully eventually. And I love you. Because, friends, God loves you. He loves you so much that he was willing to descend to death to bring you up into his arms, into life with him. Let us pray. Triune God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you especially for Jesus Christ who took on flesh, descended to the earth, descended to the death for us on our behalf so that we might never have to experience separation from God. Give us faith and trust when we have doubts and questions. May we run into your arms that you might lift us out of darkness and despair. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.